Welcome to New Community. We are so glad you guys all have joined us for this time. We miss seeing each of you, uh, but we hope you guys are staying connected and in community and loving each other well from a distance. Welcome to our service, our Sunday service. Here is our liturgy for the morning. Holy God, give us the strength to be vulnerable to you with ourselves and to others. Give us the courage to lay down our insecurities, to trust that we are loved. Empower us with the strength of the Father. Fill us with the peace of Christ. Save us by the hope of the Spirit. Transform us into the living, loving body of Christ in our city. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God of love and forgiveness, we have not been faithful to you in thought, word, or deed. Hear us as we call out to you in humility. We see the beauty of your selfless love and we long to do likewise, but in our decisions, our actions, and our inclinations, we have asserted our self-importance. We believe your good news is for all humanity, yet we fail to show others the love that Christ has given us. Father, forgive us our shortcomings and have mercy on us. Reform us by your Holy Spirit that we may come to be a blessing to those we love and to those we have yet to love. We pray in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of love and forgiveness, we have not been faithful to you in thought, word, or deed. Hear us as we call out to you in humility. We see the beauty of your selfless love, and we long to do likewise. But in our decisions, our actions, and our inclinations, we have asserted our self-importance. We believe your good news is for all humanity yet we fail to show others the love that Christ has given us. Father, forgive us our shortcomings and have mercy on us. Reform us by your Holy Spirit that we may come to be a blessing to those we love and to those we have yet to love. We pray in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our reading from today, from Walter Brueggemann's book, A Way Other Than Our Own, 
reading the fifth Sunday in Lent, titled, Until. If I had said, I will talk on in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Psalm 73, 15 through 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. Luke 15, 17. It occurred to me that the prodigal son story is Jesus's midrashic commentary on Psalm 73, in which the son plays the role of the psalmist. The son is before a practitioner of commodity saying, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them, Luke 15, 12b. And he ends that scenario in a failed pursuit. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Luke 15, 14 through 16. Then we are witnesses to this after, when he returns home. But what interests us is the hidden turn of the narrative that is reported, like in Psalm 73, but also like Psalm 73, not described but when he came to himself, verse 17. What an incredible phrase. We do not know how that happened any more than we know how the until in the psalm worked. The teller of the story might have said, until he came to himself, because it is the same until. But of course, the son does not just come to himself. He comes to himself in his true identity. He comes to himself as a beloved son of the Father. He, in fact, comes in his until to recognize that his father was the only one he wanted to be with. It did not matter anymore to his son that his older brother got the farm as his portion, because the father is the son's portion and the only thing he wants in heaven or on earth. The son coming to himself is a decision grounded in the father's love that permits him to slough off his false self and become finally who he is. It is clear in this telling that Jesus fully understood the song. Indeed, Jesus' engagement in ministry is, among other things, that we should be weaned from the seductions of commodity for the gift of communion, a presence that leaves us in joy and well-being. Bring us to our senses, O God. Turn our hearts away from the path of death and toward life.
toward you, our true home, that we may ever live with joy in your presence as your people in this world. Amen. struck me about this particular reading is its connection to Psalm 73. I had never considered before the idea of the prodigal son being tethered in any way to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is um, one of the one of my favorite psalms in part because um, it's the psalm I use with the interns every year where we read it in four or five different settings. And so we'll read it at the bus station downtown, we'll read it at a cemetery, we'll read it um, in kind of in the woods uh, along the river, we'll read it in the mall food court, and then uh, we also read it kind of uh, in a private devotional kind of area. So you have to read it on your own, you know, next to your bed or whenever you, um, you know, wherever you go to have your quiet time. And I'm always fascinated by Psalm 73 because there's such a transition in it. He goes from feeling incredibly downcast about his uh, situation, uh, frustrated by looking on the lives of other people and seeing wicked people, quote unquote, uh, living in prosperity. He sees greedy people with all that they, um, they need. And then he sees those who are trying to pursue Yahweh as not uh, having their needs met or not receiving what he anticipated that they would or should receive. And I'm always curious about the transition, what made him switch his mind so much. And so, yeah, it struck me because it's the same kind of transition uh, for the prodigal son. You don't know the full part of the story. You just have to kind of imagine uh, what created the hinge point. Um, so, Russ, as you are encouraging your interns um, to speak and kind of recite this psalm throughout a variety of different contexts, um, how is it impacting them? I mean, what do you? How do you see this specific passage, Psalm seventy-three, um, become like a, a profound narrative for their experience while they're on the intern trip? Yeah, the, I think the biggest. Um, kind of insight of learning is that the context and the situation in which you read the Bible actually changes, not what the Bible says, but it changes what perhaps is highlighted or uh, what kind of rises to the surface. So the psalmist says, as for me, my foot nearly slipped. And one particular intern was walking up a hill to go sit overlooking a river um, and they slipped on the way up. Then when they sat down to read the Psalm, that was the phrase in the Psalm, obviously that jumped out to them that when they had read it prior, never even crossed their mind or never even became something that uh, triggered, you know, any thought. 
But then by switching the context they were in, it dramatically uh, jumped out. Another example would be in the food court. As they're reading, it says that the wicked people uh, always have their fill and walk around as essentially fat slabs in the Hebrew. So as you're looking at people milling about with gold and jewelry and bags and, you know, eating food and having their fill, it obviously that's going to jump off the page far more than you know, another part of the passage. So it has less to do about its connection to the prodigal son and more to do with just the way uh, a text can be understood as you change uh, the place in which you read it. Sure. Um, so that, that wasn't something that specifically stood out to me. Um, I think the prodigal son has been uh, both like a beloved story of mine, but also a really challenging story for mine. Uh, or, or for me, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, but I, I, as I was reading this uh, and listening to you read, that moment of until, which I'm sure is, I mean, it's kind of like the, the thesis of this whole idea, but that moment of when he comes to his senses or um, like Psalm 73 says, until, I, I think I'm, I've been wrestling with when is that moment happen in our lives? And have I already had that moment or is that moment coming still? Um, and is that moment something that maybe you have a variety of different times and throughout your life, you come to different until points or, uh, I've come to my sense, uh, senses points in, in our lives. And, um, I, I think that's, that was something that really stuck out to me and, and kind of given our like current, situation right now. Um, the fact that we're doing podcasts on Sunday and we're here kind of in a, in a zoom call, um, trying to create uh, community, trying to hold on to this idea of, um, of having Sunday services, but in a very, very different format. Are we in like a, I'm coming to my senses point in some way. And are we uh, all kind of on the precipice of um, having to return back to God in a, in a very unique way? No, it's a great question. I would lean toward the idea that you have multiple of these moments throughout the course of your life. Uh, not maybe always as dramatic as severe famine to straight riches. Um, as illustrated in the story. But I do think you have either these turning points, these aha moments, these times where you shift away from a former way of thinking to a new way of thinking. And yeah, I think they happen along uh, youth developmental stages and kid developmental stages. But then I think later on in life, they happen at random moments in which God captures your heart. Yeah. Do you think, uh, so you said there's moments where your, your thinking changes. It also seems pretty clear, um, at least in the prodigal son story, that this was a significant moment of behavior change and, and like change in action as well. Do you think um, change in thinking is always partnered with uh, behavior change? Personally, yes. Um, whether... I mean, part of the debate would be which comes first, right? Did the change in my thinking come and then I began to act a different way? Um, and then there's argument for the idea that you act your way into a new way of thinking. 
And I think the answer is yes, it's both. That you're going to have times where it's you're told something, it, you never realized that before, and then that forced you to begin to live differently. And then other times where you see someone model the way you want to live, and then it, it causes you to say, oh, what would it look like if I lived that? And then it begins to change the way you think. I think what stuck out most to me was the idea that the son coming to himself is a decision grounded in the father's love that permits him to sloth, sloth off his false self and become finally who he is. And this idea of that he is becoming finally who he is only comes out of a decision that is grounded in the father's love, I think is a really, again, just a beautiful idea that we we do have these parts to us, these true selves that often uh, are overlooked or underlived into, if that makes sense. Um, and sometimes it's because we are not grounding ourselves in the Father's love. And I think when we do ground ourselves in the Father's love, we are able to lean into more of who we truly are uh, because we feel the freedom to be us and the freedom to live a life that is not based in fear or anxiety or um, or in ways that the world that we feel like the world is pressuring us to be, but more of we can live into who we are and who we are created to be. And not just that, but be confident in it. Uh, Julie, that makes me ask a question to both of you. Uh, do you think, so you just described false self, true self. Uh, do you think that the only way you can live into your true self is after having realized that you are the beloved? Is that required first to live into your true self? I think that's a great question. Um, I think my initial Christian answer is yes. But I think even as you asked that question, some people came to mind who have, I'm really great friends with some people who do not know and do not follow Jesus and maybe have not realized that they are grounded in the father's love, but they live out the life of Jesus and they live what I would say is their true self in a really beautiful way. And I believe it is because they're living into who God created them to be still, maybe without realizing it. Um, I think there is a level of depth that happens as well when you do realize for me personally, when I realize that I am the beloved and that I am deeply loved as I am, I think that allows me to fully live into that. But that is a hard question because I do see people living. Yeah. <clears throat> what I hear, what I hear you saying is that the recognition of being the beloved allows you to further live into your truest identity. Um, the way I described it with someone the other day was uh, that you have, regardless of whether you know, uh, as an adoptive child, let's imagine for a moment, regardless of whether you know your birth mom or your birth father, you might uh, have some mannerisms and characteristics, and you might do some things that if you knew your birth father, would look identical to your birth father, 
but you've never practiced them. But they come naturally in part because you are of the same, right? So the idea that we've all been created in the image of God means that there is some inherent kind of um, already in all of us uh, some characteristics that might resemble our father, but they're not the fullest form of those characteristics that I think can only fully bear the full fruit once you realize you're a part of the beloved. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, does that does that get back to um, kind of the original design question in the original intention of how we are created as human beings? And are we... Um, do we are we image bearers even though we are also fallen and sinful but does that like that idea of be uh, being an image bearer of the creator is that more foundational to who we are or uh, are we more is our foundation more built upon the fact that we're fallen yeah i i think it's built more um on the fact that we are created in the image of god and that that is an expression of what will ultimately be our fullest reality only when we are with the Father in full communion at the end of time, you know? And yeah, and so we move into this place of fallenness, and as we move out of that place of fallenness, um, the more we become and act and look like Jesus, the more we're leaning into our fullest and truest self. Yeah. Why do you, Russ, why do you think the church um, for uh, hundreds of years focused more on the fallenness of humanity versus the image bearing quality of humanity? Just a, a little softball for you. <laughs> uh, you want my depressing answer or my less depressing answer? Well, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's pretty bleak outside today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why? I think control. That's why. You you can't you can't control. Yeah, you can't control people if you tell them they're they're doing great and they don't need you. But religion, as a way of saying, we want to control people, and the way we control people is through power and um and the way that that works is for you to not feel good about yourself which then causes you to feel guilty which means you need to feel a relief of that guilt and then it's convenient that the only way you can find that relief is if you come to us for confession or if you pay an indulgence or if you so i think for a long time it was born out of control it's also born out of control when you say that we determine or a decision determines your eternal destiny. So you're either heaven or you're hell. And we get to tell you whether you're heaven or hell based on your actions or based on uh, a formula. And we get to be the ones to determine what that formula is. So the sad and depressing thing is, I think, for a long time, it's because of control. What's your uh, less depressing answer to that? I'm maybe curious about that one, too. <laughs> uh, I would say that it's <clears throat> less born out of um, religion and just born out of experience. So I recognize in my own life that I have a fallenness, 
that fallenness um, I don't want in my life. And but because it's the thing that's most present or most evident that I, that I feel like, oh, man, I must be wicked and I'm working my way toward holy or good or um, and so it's born more out, out of that experience. And then again, as you're raised as a little kid, um, you know, if it's 10 compliments for every one negative and you don't get 10 reinforcements of positive, like, man, you're such a good kid and you did this well and you did that well. And then, oh, and then you made a mistake here. If it's constantly the corrective nature, right, then you're going to grow up going, man, I have flaws. I have weaknesses. I have, and you focus on that more than you do. Uh, the inherent good things because we're creating this image. So that's my less depressing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yes, but fallenness is a bit sad. Uh, here was my um, question or phrase I wanted to read and toss it out to you too for wisdom. Uh, it says at the very end, indeed, Jesus's engagement in ministry is, among other things, that we should be weaned from the seductions of commodity for the gift of communion. Weaned from the seductions of commodity for the gift of communion. Enlighten me. What is he really getting at with that phrase? Um, I can't get past the word communion in that, uh, to decipher this because I feel like right now I just long for communion right now. So I'm actually having a hard time getting past the idea of unpacking that sentence because I do think right now communion is a gift, um, both communion with the Lord, but also communion with each other and this idea of being together and, um, and it finishes that sentence by saying a presence that leaves us in joy and well-being. So I think, I guess to unpack it a little bit more, I think as we stop focusing on commodity, on, on things and on accumulating more and more, um, I think we get to experience the simplicity of communion and recognizing the body, the gift of the body of Christ and um, the body of his people and being together. And that's where so much of the joy in our life comes from. And I miss it right now. Uh, Julie, um, great answer. I think we're all kind of in that space. Um, Russ, as you asked that, the first thing that came to mind for me, uh, not to get uh, too politically engaged at this point, but uh, highly likely that our government passes this big $2 trillion stimulus bill, um, which again, whether right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Um, and I, I think this is like a really uh, tangible example of um, focusing on this idea of commodity. And certainly there needs to be something like this that happens. Um, but the, it's very, very easy to just get swayed and say, this is going to be the thing that saves us all. And uh, let us focus on commodity. Let us focus on 
um, the financial uh, aspects of how uh, we can see ourselves through uh, this significant time. But to, again, look at those things and then recenter our, uh, our focus on this idea of I need to hold, uh, hold fast to God in that uh, communion is the thing um, in this time that is going to see me through to the other end and that my focus um, always needs to shift back to him as the center and uh, and the Lord as uh, ultimately provider and uh, the one who will sustain, the one who will be uh, on the other end waiting. Yeah. Um, as you guys were talking, the thing that struck me about the phrase um, maybe from a slightly different angle. He says it's Jesus is engagement in ministry. And I couldn't help but think that the seduction of commodity is the difference between a transactional relationship and the gift of communion is a transformational relationship. So the way I would kind of wrestle with this idea is that we get easily caught up in the seduction and the ease and the convenience of the transaction. And so the son wants from the father a certain thing. So he asks for it early, then wastes it. And then when he comes back again, what he could have wanted or what the father could have given is just a transactional relationship. But instead in coming to him, his senses, he realized that a transformational relationship and that gift of being present and known and uh, loved by someone and in deep relationship uh, carries much more weight and far more joy and well-being than the transaction. And I think this is a time where <clears throat> we could easily fall into being people of transaction rather than transformation, easily fall into just, you know, um, yeah, ignoring kind of those deeper relationship pieces uh, or doing things just for the sake of self rather than others. Uh, so it might be a good reminder for us in those ways too. Yeah, that's good. Uh, anything else that uh, either of you guys found uh, to be interesting or challenging in this uh, reading from Brueggemann? Um, <clears throat> I, nothing other than I think it would be uh, fun to go back and read Psalm 73 and then read Luke and compare the two again because um, he's highlighting something that I think is uh, pretty interesting and coming at from a, a different perspective it might be uh, helpful to to re-engage those um, today. Might be a good challenge for those uh, listening as well. I was also just thinking uh, as we were uh, on this call together, this is an incredibly easy format to get a couple of friends together uh, or your small group together. And uh, it does not need to be, um, there does not need to be a lot of prep. What we're doing is reading uh, one small section from Brueggemann and then just asking each other questions. And uh, and I, I know as I have been able to be a part of these the last couple of weeks, um, I've been challenged and uh, have been encouraged in a lot of ways. So um, it's a great way to stay in communion, Julie, like you talked about, um, with each other. Just to jump on a, a Zoom call, it's a free program. Uh, you can get on it with your your buddies, your small group, your whoever, and uh, and begin to uh, 
have some common points of connection with each other and talk about things of, um, of depth and things that can encourage us spiritually. May we go forth into the world in peace, being of good courage and holding fast to what is good. May we render to no one evil for evil, instead strengthening the faint-hearted, supporting the weak, and helping the afflicted. May we honor everyone and love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be the church and his kingdom people. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.